Welcome to FPL USA Press Play. You have Brian, Bucks, and Dan, a.k.a. FPL underscore Black Wolf, at the mics to bring you the ultimate playbook each week to beat your mates and hopefully take down the crown in your mini league. So without further ado, Bucks, Dan, how we living? Doing great. So happy to be back on the podcast with you, Brian, and you, Black Wolf. What's up, Dan? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Doing something a little different today. Yeah, that's right. We like to uh, mix it up. Variety is the spice of life. And this week, we're going to do a little bit of a section about meeting the hosts and then talking about some of the predictions and projections that we have in store for the upcoming FPL season. We know there's a ton of content coming out each and every day as we're just about 10 days away from the official game starting. So we appreciate you guys tuning in to listen to us gas bags, and hopefully you'll gleam a few pieces of advice from this episode that you can carry with you for the rest of the season. Yeah, I like to think of this episode as mates, takes, and quakes, because you're going to get to meet the three of us. We're going to give you some takes and maybe even some takes so spicy they make the ground rumble beneath your feet. I thought that was just going to be you walking in with a dad bod onto the basketball court there, Bucks. Yeah, the earthquake is uh, what happens when I hit the <laughs> ground uh, these days. That's for sure. Ouch. You got to stop diving for those loose balls, my friend. But where do we even start? This is kind of a free flowing episode. I think um, let's start with uh, with Dan. You know, he's got the most tenured FPL community background. So let's hear a little bit more about the gracious Black Wolf who has now joined this pod officially. Yeah, the yeah, least so- hair. The least hair starts us off. Let's go. <laughs> It's choice. It's choice books. So we had a question on um, Twitter from Chefman7989, um, David. He's been a huge supporter of this pod, and he actually asked us to introduce ourselves and talk about how we came to love the Premier League and why we're fans of the sides that we're fans of. So I'm going to get started there. Golf clap for him. We appreciate Golf the clap. follow. Yeah. So as you can tell by my strange accent, I'm actually not from the USA, despite my FPR USA credentials. I was born and raised in the UK in a town called Coventry in the West Midlands, which is actually about 30 minutes, 40 minutes away from Wolverhampton. And I am pretty sure I came out of the womb wearing a Wolves jersey because I can't remember not being a fan. I was forced to be a fan of Wolves, which I'm quite happy with these days, but you know, it could have went south. And I went to my first game when I was seven years old. It was against a team called Tramia Rovers, and we won 3-2. And it's probably one of the best experiences of my childhood. And I just became an instant fan. I stayed behind in the stadium afterwards. I got the autographs from all of the players. Um, I met them all. I had photos taken. And I was just an, an instant fan from that point forward. And I've never stopped being a fan. That's wholesome as fuck. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, Dan, for sharing that. <laughs> who's your favorite all-time player for Wolves? If you had to just, who's the first name that pops into your head? I would probably say Robbie Keane. You remember Robbie Keane, the Spurs player and LA Galaxy player? So he actually started in the Wolverhampton Academy. So when I went to my first game, he was playing in that game, and he was so fun to watch. His celebrations were exciting. He was a really exciting Throwback. player to watch. So he instantly became one of my favorite players. So I was kind of sad when he actually got sold to Coventry, where I lived. So I got a lot of stick from my my friends and 
people I knew <laughs> about that. I mean, going into school on a Monday morning in high school was either going to be the best experience of my life or the worst because if Coventry beat Wolves on the Saturday before, I just wanted to like hide under my desk and not talk to anyone. But in the times we won, it was just amazing. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Your experience is obviously very different from both Bucks and myself when we're thinking about how we become fans of the Premier League in the US of A. So glad to hear you have those full British roots and are continuing to be a super fan here while living in the US of A. But next, let's kick it over to Bucks because I think he's been itching to tell his story about his visit to the bridge and how he fell in love with the Chelsea Blues. Yeah, great shout. Not nearly as true to form and from upbringing, from birth as Dan, of course. But when I was a shithead teenager, I played soccer in my school team and on travel team. And I always played defensive mid or center back because I was a basketball player moonlighting as a soccer player. So I was always big and My coaches always said most of my talent was in the air from set pieces, not with the ball at my feet. So when I was 14, I got to go with my family on a trip for my grandparents' 50th anniversary to London, and we were able to score tickets to see Chelsea face off against West Ham at the bridge. It was such a pinnacle experience. And What a trip. What a trip as a little uh, shithead 14-year-old. Very, very (laughs) fortunate. And that's also one of the benefits of living in New York. You're so close to London that it's actually like a trip that normal New Yorkers like take. Uh, I feel like a lot of folks across the Midwest or the West Coast, they don't go all the way to across the pond. So nice uh, stars aligning for you there, Bucks, in your early formative years. Absolutely. And the stars even went further and further to align because it happened to fall right during the real peak of Chelsea's come up. It was 2005. Uh, when we played West Ham, they got the win. Lampard was in the side. He was always my favorite player growing up, played uh, in the midfield. So I was trying to watch him and take some tips, which I can never perfect because I was nowhere close to his level. But Chelsea ended up winning the Premier League title that year, and they won the title the next year as well. So it was kind of right during the time when I was really impressionable and I was looking for a team in London to deepen my love of soccer as I started playing it more seriously and Chelsea fit that bill and, you know, fast forwarding till today, I'm now a dad with two young kids. I live in Brooklyn and the premier league is the best sport with kids, especially for your spouse, because you can sleep in, they can sleep in on the mornings, East coast time. I'm up with the girls early and we watch Chelsea matches Religiously, we're all in our jerseys. We're often waking our neighbors up yelling when they score a goal, or we're driving our downstairs neighbors crazy when we're stomping our feet and they concede and look shit like they were most of last season. So I've become a real diehard Chelsea supporter and I love the game that's played in the Premier League. And I'm spreading and sharing that love uh, with my family now. So uh, Chelsea Blue is in the veins here in Brooklyn for the Bucksbound family. Good Lord. That was sap and uh, very wholesome as well. <laughs> Incredibly. Wholesome. What a, what a follow-up. I'm, we're not going to be able to go three for three here because my, my story here of being involved with FPL really conquers my joy of being a fan of the premier league. To be honest, like my number one team is my premier uh, fantasy league team. But with that being said, I do support the Chelsea blues 
My favorite player was Didier Drogba, just picking a team in high school playing FIFA. A lot of my friends, that was the go-to game because you could play a shorter game than Madden in the U.S. Madden games just felt like they went forever and ever, and it's hard to play with like two-on-two. Whereas FIFA, you get the whole squad together, four of you could play. And so I played a ton of FIFA growing up through high school and through college. So now from an FPL perspective, man, I fell for this game so hard. I lived in Sydney, Australia for four years and shout out to one of our podcast supporters, Kevin Johnson. He was my coworker while I was working in media in Sydney and he just went to every single Chelsea Blues event. Uh, for the, I think, I don't know if it's like Chelsea, Australia or Chelsea, Sydney FC, but these games were on at midnight, like every Saturday, midnight and 2 a.m. every Saturday, basically. So I would be out on the town, hanging with the lady, maybe doing a double date. And then later, man, we'd hit the casino, get an espresso martini, watch Chelsea. And I fell in love with uh, the Premier League even more and started playing fantasy Premier League. So this is my, I believe, eighth season officially and really just hopeful to keep climbing the ranks here, especially on the podcast. Awesome. That was great information from all of us. And that's a great transition, Brian, to talk about how we got from loving the Premier League to being FPL addicts. So I know, Brian, you just said that Kev Johnson is kind of guilty for uh, bringing you into the dark side of FPL. And you're my gateway. You're my ticket into the FPL addiction. You brought me in. That's uh, right. Right before the start of COVID, uh, you reached out to me the season before. Uh, we had been chatting about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I went to school in Wisconsin, and you're from Wisconsin originally. And I had mentioned to you how I was really like hardcore about Chelsea and the Premier League. And you were like, well, if you watch all the games, why don't you join my FPL mini league? And that was the start. I've That was four seasons ago for me. I'm the newbie of the podcast. And... Yeah, it's taken over my life. I uh, It's hard for Man. me to talk to my friends about the NFL because, and I've left many NFL fantasy football leagues because I'm just so serious and want to be spending my time either with my family or watching the Premier League playing FPL. So uh, it's kind of sad, but also uh, very brutally <laughs> honest that uh, I this, mean, is, who, this hobby takes over. Who knew your life would be forever changed from uh, just joining a mini league? And uh, I think that's a great kind of segue as well. Just like how you engage with the FPL community. Like you and I were not, like, we had friends of friends and we had met a couple of times before, but like we hadn't seen each other in eight years, maybe something like that. So to rekindle our friendship, uh, Bucks was at my wedding. So uh, that that's been an amazing kind of personal touch as we finally get into my sappy uh, story about FPL. But that's also I kind of my, how we looked in Black Wolf. Lost in the mail, huh? Yeah, we only had uh, <laughs> f- folks uh, with with hair and proper accents at the uh, wedding. Only, Astra- only Australians invited to that one. No, no Brits. Dan, Dan, I'm sorry. <laughs> you couldn't be invited because uh, I actually uh, ate ate your portion at the, uh, at the wedding. That was a, that was a good time out in uh, half moon Bay. Right. But I with that say, being said, one, one thing that I love about the premier league is just how global it is. And like, it doesn't matter why you became a fan of the team you became a fan of. There's so many reasons across sure. the world of why you became a fan. It's just, it's great to see. And I feel like the premier league is unique in that sense. You see people that are fans just because they went to a game. Maybe they like a player. 
maybe they like a, a jersey. There's really so many reasons why you like a team, but it doesn't mean that you're not as much of a fan as someone else. And I really love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my personal mini league that I run, I think it spans like eight different countries now, just because I've met friends of friends or through my travels have met some people who are hardcore FPL players and we've stayed in touch. So love that global aspect of the game for sure. So I think this is a good point to segue and just talk about where we are as managers in terms of being from an FPL play style perspective. Are we kind of on the optimized data centric side of things or are we eye test and grassroots FC? So Bucks, tell us about your play style that you've developed over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I'm definitely eye tests. 80% data reinforces my my prejudices at the remaining 20%. And I'm really a vibes kind of player. I like to watch the games, watch the extended highlights afterwards um, to see the touches, see the positioning, and then see the kind of uh, positional maps. And then I'll make the judgments by then. But I have learned in my four years playing, in my three years playing, going into my fourth season, to be a lot more patient with making transfers and a lot more pragmatic with taking Bucks Wild minus eights uh, point hits when I'm just feeling itchy and need to have a a good FPL tinker. So I'm going to be trying to be a lot more disciplined going into my fourth season of FPL. Yeah, you and I have obviously bounced around a lot of ideas and the last three seasons have been truly insane. Just the amount of double game weeks and cancellations and everything else in between. So those hits have often paid dividends and is something we'll talk a little bit about later, but this season, fingers crossed, we're going to have a, a much more normal season, only a few double game weeks. And that should help us really plan for the long term because I feel like the last few seasons we've just had to be so reactive to any news it could be a cancellation two days before the matches or it could be weeks you know down the line and there's really kind of produced these double game weeks that we had no idea and no foresight into so I think that's uh, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to so Dan tell us about you know your style do you go with the vibes like bucks or do you also like to bring in some of the data to make your FPL decisions. Yeah, so I used to be almost entirely eye test and I didn't really care about data, but recently I've became to I came to love it. I think it's really useful um, and valuable, especially if you have a 50-50 decision to make. Like if I'm really close on two players, then I will go to the data sure. to help me make that decision. We have a joke in my group chats um, called anal grass. So that's kind of like how I like to call it. <laughs> so I'm an anal grass player. So huh. a lot of. That's uh, an interesting <laughs> way of looking at it. Jesus sure is. fuck. What the <laughs> fuck did I just hear you say in that it's British a, accent a, of yours? It's a new coin that I've turned and it's going to catch on from this podcast. Anal grass yeah. FC. You heard it here hey, first. You should uh, title your FPL team that and see what happens uh, by game week three. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but. I'm mostly eye test. I love watching the games. I love picking players based on who I like watching play, who I see getting the chances. But again, if I'm really close on two people, then I will look at the XG data and all that stuff. I think it's very valuable. Yeah, and want to give a shout out to the FPL community, just thinking about the data visualization to help more 
to help spread the use of data throughout the fantasy Premier League game. It, that's been very important. So shout out to all those sites and all those different members of the community that are helping managers become more intelligent about the decisions they make. We want everyone to watch as much football as they possibly can, but sometimes life catches up with you. You can only catch a few highlights and then on your free time, you might have an hour to dive into the data to figure out your, your transfer and your transfer plans coming up. So I think there's a mixed approach that can definitely help. And the key about having a high overall rank is just understanding you're also playing this game against millions and millions of other managers. You're not just playing it against a few other teams. So the effective ownership of players can come into account. If you're chasing your mini league, there are different ways to look at your place and your ranking kind of in the table. So we'll make sure to shout out a lot of our top tools throughout the season that we like to use that could also help you manage your FBL team. Great shout. And that's what this podcast is here for, where you want to chat and have some fun with the banter and discussing what we're seeing in the matches on the weekend. And then we're going to help you try and streamline your FPL diet to make sure that you have the key ingredients, all the nutrients you need to have that green arrow in the upcoming game week. With that, let's dive into the highest and lowest moments of our FPL careers. Um, I know I have the shortest career, so let me defer to Dan, who's been playing the longest and is closest to home with the FPL game. Black Wolf, highest and lowest FPL moments. Yeah, so in my opinion, there is nothing better than when you pick a player that no one else has picked like a really super differential and then they get a huge haul that game week and that's happened to me a couple of times over the years and it's just a great feeling especially when people are saying why have you picked that player that's a stupid pick and you're like no i have a really good feeling about this guy and then he gets you 15 points it most recently happened to me i think two or three seasons ago i picked josh brownhill from burnley just because oh, wow. I had a feeling about him and he got 15 <laughs> points that game week and I sawed up the rankings and it wow. just felt so good. So oh, yeah, he, I, was four, he was 4.5 at the time as well. Uh, I wish yeah. he still had that same price because Burnley's back up in the Premier League this season and his price is like 5.5 or something ridiculous. Something I was, like I was very it's, surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to pick him, but I needed an enabler and I saw Burnley had a good fixture and I was like, you know what, why not I have a feeling about this guy? And I was getting called stupid from people, but... He hauled, and I made sure people knew about it. And then for a low point, it was probably just two seasons ago when um, Sun went on that crazy run at the end of the season, and he got all of those points. I actually, I actually took him out of my team just before he went on that run. I had him for weeks oh, and weeks before woof. that, and he wasn't doing great. And I thought this okay, was the, this was the season he this was the season he won the Golden Boot. Yeah, yeah. So I had oh, him for no. I know. I took him out and the game week after he got like 12 points and he just scoring for fun after that. And I just felt stupid. Brutal. So I, I think I, I would have got a top 10 K that season. If I didn't do that, I'm confident because I ended up finishing 20 something K. Nice. Oh, well. And was that your best overall finish on this account? Yes. So I'm going to say, yes, I had, I had an account back when I was in England, like 12, 13 years ago where I did get like a 10 K. I'm going to say top 10K, but it wasn't top 10K. It was like 10,300 and something. But then I switched accounts and I'm kind that of annoyed. What's, what's 300 among, you know, good mates? That's that's fine. Well, I'm kind of annoyed though because this new account that I switched over to, I got like a, a 1 million finish like eight years ago. And then I took a break from this account for five years. And then I got like five 100Ks in a row. 
but now my overall all-time rank is super crappy just because of that one season and all of those breaks. But you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall rank is is something that I think we obviously strive for, and we want to get in that top ten k and have our best overall ranks ever. But ultimately, this pod is about the vibes. It's about exactly. watching as much footy as possible, and it's about hopefully me beating both of you this season. So well, you say uh, it's not think... about you say it's not about um, rank, but. I'm looking at your high point here, <laughs> and it's about rank. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, awfully I, suspicious from Brian, don't you think, Black Wolf? Yeah, yeah it was that, very that's true. Too. That's true. the uh, The playbook here today has a little bit of hypocrisy because, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've definitely used the tool, uh, fantasy Premier League tools, to check out my overall rank over the seven years that I've been playing, and you know, worldwide. It's it's pretty impressive. I think that's something I want to continue to work on. 5,759th all-time in FPL. Um, yeah, my best overall rank was 11,571st. And that's a number that will always stick with me. That was while I was in Sydney, Australia, and had Sun and Kane double up and was, was crushing it many seasons ago. Now, my low... Just happened two seasons ago. I ended up 22K, but I was firmly in the top 10K heading into game week 37. And I was at a bachelor party slash wedding on the East Coast. I was traveling coast to coast and didn't have enough time to dive into the research. And I went with Danny Ings as my differential instead of Richarlison. And Richarlison scored a brace, kept Everton up. And I ended the season uh, 22K instead of the, the elusive top 10K that I was I was going for. So, yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I just want to win my my mini leagues. I run a big one uh, with uh, some of my closest mates and friends. And that's uh, that's my other goal every every season. All right. Balls in my court. I have some captaincy celebrations that I've had the good fortune of getting lucky on. I had Mo Salah. He had 84 points as my triple captain in double game week 26 in 2001. In 2021, 2022, uh, that was unreal. That is my highest uh, single player score I've had yet. And I don't think I'm going to see that touched for seasons to come. And then later in that same season, I actually had KDB captain in double game week 36. He also had 60 points. So that was an amazing kind of double captaincy haul. And then this season, I got really lucky late on. I had Callum Wilson as my differential captain. He ends up with 48 points. Isak got, I think it was 20 points. So those that basically buoyed me to beat Brian in our head-to-head competition and skyrocketed me over 150,000 places up the ranks to save my bacon and save a respectable, frustrating season. Yeah, save save a little face, you know. I think uh, both you and I, uh, you know, around top 100K last season, but hopefully this season between the the trio here, we're going to be all in the top 50K with ease and hopefully pushing into those... uh, those four digits potentially that's 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 what i would love to see from the three of us this season yeah we got to hold each other accountable and uh push each other to be the best versions of ourselves and that's a good transition to my low point because uh my low point was probably my rookie season i was having a dream campaign i was inside the top 6k going into game week 37 and brian and i we were talking very 
actively on our WhatsApp chat. And I was like, listen, I'm bringing in Melier. He's, he's going to be my goalkeeper to keep me in the top 10 K Brian's like, don't do it. Goalkeeper transfers suck. I was like, what the fuck do you know? I'm kicking your ass up and down this mini league and in the OR ranking Womp, womp, womp. The game week comes around. I take a hit to bring in Melier to make this move. He oh. gets benched. He gets benched. And <laughs> oh, no. my backup didn't start either. Uh. He was out with some injury. So I get zero points. So I take negative points on this. And then in oh, game week man. 38, I start trying to chase. You compounded it. You compounded yeah, I, the, the I chased chase. the white rabbit <laughs> and I went for Farron Torres instead of, I believe it was Sadio Mane that season who had the big explosive game week 38. Farron Torres gets benched. He ends up with a damn <laughs> one pointer. Thank you, Pep Roulette. So I end up going from inside the top 10K very comfortably. I ended up with my best finish of 13K. So still very respectable finish, but That was really, I think, what spawned the need for this podcast because both Brian and I were getting so into it and we just realized that some of our behind-the-scenes chatter was quite entertaining. And the mini-league definitely got a kick out of hearing that story the first time. So hopefully all of our new listeners will get a smile on their face and some joy out of hearing both the highs and lows for all three of us managers. And I think with that, we can take our first break. When we come back, Let's get into our takes. Let's get our predictions for the upcoming FPL season. Welcome back to the FPL USA Press Play podcast. We're now going to dive into some of our season tips to hopefully achieve one of your best ranks. And with that, we're going to start with Dan, who wrote an awesome article for www.allaboutfpl.com, where he is a season-long contributor. So, Dan, drop some knowledge on us. What do you got for the listeners of this pod to understand about how to play FPL? Yeah, so as you said, I wrote an article, and if you're interested in reading it, it's actually my pinned post on my Twitter profile. You mean um, so X? I mean, Throw X. Up the X. I, I refuse to call it X. <laughs> my X profile. <laughs> my X's profile. <laughs> it's so stupid. Anyway. I'm always I'm always on X. <laughs> it sounds like uh, you know, you're high all the time. It's it's yeah. so it it looks actually pretty cool. I will admit it it looks pretty sharp, but you know, I it's such a bizarre world we're living in. It it really is. Um, but we digress. So I wrote an article and Let's go through some of the tips that I have in that article. The first one I have is to create and follow a decision-making process that works for you. I feel like this one is really important. Um, If you want to achieve a good rank, if you want to get consistent results, I feel like you have to define a good process to follow. At least that helps me. Otherwise, I make rash decisions here and there. And I've kind of broken this down into smaller pieces and I won't go into full detail but I'm going to go through each section really quickly so the first thing I like to do is to identify and then define the problem and what I mean by that is if you look at your team rather than make a knee-jerk decision you need to really focus on the key issues within your team whether that be suspensions or injuries or maybe some harsh fixture swings you really want to Focus on those things first. Don't just make a rash emotional decision because one of your players 
had a terrible game week, there's probably a worse player there that you have to take out first. Oh yeah, but- I mean this was this was something I preached to Bucks in his first season. Don't be hashtag knee jerk FC and just rage quit and and take some uh, some players out of your side. So that's that's good advice for sure. And I think something that we've talked about previously on the version of the FPL Blues podcast was to really focus on fixing your weakest link and your, your obvious weakest link in your team. So I think that kind of plays into what you're saying here to the audience as well, Dan. Exactly. It, it really requires patience here. Because like I said, if you see a player has done really bad that game week, your immediate reaction is, I want this guy out of my team straight away. And then you're like, oh crap, I have two injuries on my bench. I have a suspension I didn't realize. There's a blank game week next week, and then you're screwed. So, you know, take a step back and really analyze your team before you do anything, as hard as that is for some people. Like books. Watch yourself. (laughs) Second of all, in the same section, um, is analyze. So there is so much content out there these days, including our podcast, which is the best out there, as we all agree. Amen. There you go. So there's so much content out there, and there's also quite a lot of content that may be misinformed opinions so you want to really limit your content to ones that relate to you don't give yourself information overload otherwise you're going to take in all of this data all of this information you're going to start panicking you're going to start overthinking things just pick a few things that you like to listen to or like to watch and just stick with that and then ultimately use that information gathered to make your own decision Yeah, I love that. That's a great shout because I found, especially last season with the cancellations and the double game weeks, I actually fell into like information overload and I wasn't making my own decisions. I was kind of reading 10 articles, watching YouTube clips, and I was like, oh, like four or five managers that are doing better than me are making these moves. Maybe that's the move rather than making some of the moves that I would have probably made myself. So uh, definitely follow your gut and play your own game, I think is uh, key to what Dan is saying here. And then from the planning, there's just some structural things from a process perspective that we should shout out. Like you should set a bus team. I shout out to the always cheating podcast for that phrase. You know, after a game week's over, just take two minutes and set your team, set your ideal lineup for the next game week without kind of ruminating on it, just make your choice from what you're feeling coming out of a game week. So you're set up so you don't miss a a deadline. And then subsequently, if possible, when funds are available, when there isn't a huge injury news, wait on making free transfers till as close to the deadline as possible. We'll definitely mention this, I think, a hundred times before the end of this season, because it is so important. And it really is what differentiates, I think, many of the veteran players from some of the newcomers to the FPL game. Right. And then next up in the decision-making process, I call it develop alternative solutions. So what I mean by that is (laughs) sometimes when you have your team in front of you. It's very easy to make a quick decision to say, okay, this is a good choice. I'm going to go with that. Whereas really you want to take a step back and develop multiple solutions that perhaps take you down different routes. Um, Many of us experience something that is called cognitive optimism bias. And that's my psychology side coming out there a little bit, but that's where we unrealistically believe that all of the future game weeks are going to be plain sailing. There's going to be no issues. So hey, it's okay just to go with this decision right now. It's not going to cause me issues down the line. But really, it's 
a lot better to wait, evaluate the situation, develop a bunch of alternative solutions, even if you think they're not needed, um, use planning tools, focus on fixture swing swings, um, and then really take your time to make all of these solutions. I, I find that super helpful for me. Yeah, we should shout out Ben Crowen, who's a legend in the community. He has the go-to FPL schedule fixture planner in the hashtag FPL community, as well as FPL.team. I think both those resources are free. They're readily accessible for all FPL managers, and they're essential. They really help you plan your team, look a couple game weeks into the future, and how any transfer or change impacts your team structure and your setup for the upcoming run-in. So uh, I think all of those are great pieces of advice from you, Dan, and well-deserved that you got that right up and are now able to shout it out for the FPL USA community as well. Yeah, it's a funny thing about FPL. You have your heart set on a player, you want to transfer them in, but ultimately there are other players in the, in the player pool that score points every single game week. So just because you really want to bring in a player but might be priced out by 0.1, you know, you have to evaluate, is it worth a minus four hit when you could bring in another alternative that could also kind of balance that out. So hits is a, uh, it's a big part of how we play this game. And I think um, those are calculated risks that you need to take when you can maximize them maybe during double game weeks. So I think that's one thing again, bucks, we're going to try and take less hits this season, but if you're going to take hits, you want to set them up for your, bench boost chip or for future double game weeks. That's always the the best time where the macro FPL community will be taking hits. But on a weekly basis, you don't want to be taking a hit every week. You want to kind of plan a little bit further ahead. And hopefully this season we'll be able to do that. Yeah. And when you do make free transfers, this is something, Brian, that you really drilled home for me. You want to be moving players that could have big impacts. So it doesn't make sense if you have a 4 million defender to kind of rip that player out in game week two to get on another 4 million defender. Like if you see that you picked, let's say Mudrik and he's not starting at 7 million, then the emphasis should be to take that player out to bring in an explosive type midfielder around that price point. So you want to address not just the most obvious problem, but the problem whose solution will bring you the most potential points. And I think that's where FPL really goes into uh, additional level of kind of 4D chess. And I think that really ties home what both Brian and Dan were saying with some of the helpful tips. Guys, we have any more that we want to share with our listeners? Just to touch on the, the hits just a, a little bit more. So I'm not against hits if they're used strategically. If you use them at the right time, like in a double game week, for example, or a blank game week, to really maximize your points, I think they can be really, really important to actually do. But like Brian said, you don't want to, don't want to be taking them every single week just because I want this player this week. Um, plan them ahead of time and do them strategically. I, I think that's my best bit of advice for hits. Our last tip that we want to shout out is about flexibility in planning your game week one squad. Now, we're not going to really drill into formation and which one we think is best. We've already had that debate on an earlier podcast, but really what we want to drill into is having flexibility and identifying and having players from a certain important price points within your team. And I think 
Brian, you can shout this out in more detail, but I think what we're talking about is like a 5 million to 5.5 million defender, 6.5 million to 7 million midfielder, and maybe an 8 to 8.5 million midfielder as well. Am I, am I off track here? Yeah, you could probably toss in a 8.0 forward into that mix as well, looking at kind of what the popular player picks are at the moment, but you just want to give yourself an opportunity to find the players who are starting to bang to start the season. And it's going to be tricky because if a player goes off in game week one, they're going to rise quickly in price. And so you are going to be placed in a position where if ultimately you feel you've made the wrong game week one pick, you might have to move very quickly before being priced out of that swap. Whereas if you start with somebody again, like, Jesus up top, which is pretty popular right now in the FPL community next to Holland, you could actually drop down to Darwin or to Nkunku or to Jackson at Chelsea. These are all great options that you'll be able to downgrade to at that kind of price bracket and uh, allows you a little bit more flexibility. So we're always doing yoga around here. um, But I think having your watch list set up where you have a few players at each of those price points in your team can be very helpful in terms of future planning. And again, understanding that all these players, they're going to blank from time to time, but we need to be reactive and take in more data points because right now we have the least amount of data that we have, will have for the entire season. So uh, tough to make those, those gut calls. Yeah. I think you've nailed it. I think it's really important to be able to bring in players that have hit the ground running without having having to completely rip apart your team structure. It's why I also like sometimes leaving 0.05 in the bank, just so you're not caught out by those price um, rises. If you have 0.5 in the bank from the get-go, then you can kind of account for that going forward. Awesome. I think this was a very helpful segment. I hope both managers, new and veteran alike, will benefit from some of the sage wisdom that we're spitting in preseason. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's time to get our hands dirty. Let's make some projections. Let's set some spicy earthquakes out into the universe by our Premier League and FPL predictions for next season. We are now going to pontificate on some of the top table risers and fallers heading into next season. So I think let's take a look at the Champions League spots. That's always the money spot to start with for each and every season as these teams try and get into European competition. So Bucks, what does your top four look like heading into the season? Probably a little chalky. I got Man City winning the damn thing. Coming in first place, I have Liverpool having a bounce back season, finishing second. Arsenal with a half step back, but still strong performance in third. And Manchester United rounding out the top four in that fourth position. So notably no Newcastle. And it humbles my heart to say that I do not see Chelsea at the moment finishing top four without a true center defensive midfielder, uh, which we have yet to see come in this window. So Dan, I'm passing it to you. Who's your top four? I actually have this exact same top four, believe it or not. So you and I are on the same page here, but (laughs) City, Liverpool, Arsenal, United. I think that's what it's going to be. Wow. Do we have a clean sweep? Brian, how about you? I'll go City, 
Arsenal, Liverpool, United. So I'll just flip-flop Liverpool and Arsenal there. I'm really concerned about the lack of uh, defensive midfielders for Liverpool as well. Obviously, like their attack is looking good. Their playmakers are good. But sometimes uh, when you overhaul your attack, you kind of forget about the key parts of keeping the opponent out of your third. And so uh, just just want to shout that out at this point in time. But we still have 10 days before the FPL season starts, then another couple of weeks after that until the transfer window closes. So players are getting signed each and every day still. Offers are being floated around. Got to follow some of the best in the business. David Ornstein from The Athletic, he's a guy I like to follow. And then obviously Fabrizio Romano, he's on top of all the transfer rumblings. So hopefully some teams will step it up. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, one of the most disappointing teams this season at this rate could be West Ham. They have not made a single signing this entire window. They just got swooped on for one of their key targets. Uh, I have no idea what's going on with them. So I'm going to nominate them for a potential most disappointing team of the season, which they kind of were last year too, to be honest. I like that shout a lot. For me, it's Brentford. Uh, I think that they're going to lose their two best players before the end of this season. So Raya's already heading out to Arsenal. I expect Tony will not wear a Brentford kit anymore in his career. I think he's going to be poached by Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, or even Tottenham Hotspurs come the winter window. If Kane leaves, I think that makes a lot of sense as a like-for-like replacement, get a little younger. He's also English. Uh, So I think that Brentford are going to struggle. And I also, you know, just doubling down on this, I think Mbomo, who's a very popular pick right now, is going massively overrated because we don't know what to expect from this Brentford team at the start of this season. So on to you, Dan. Pressure's on. Well, unfortunately, I agree with you again, Bucks, about Brentford and about Mbomo. But I'm going to go a little different. I'm actually going to say Newcastle and be a little controversial. I think... Given that they're in the Champions Ooh. League now, they have a whole different competition to think about. I don't think they're going to finish top six. I think they're going to finish lower end of the top half. Just a wild prediction. I wow. Have. That's uh, that's a bit extreme for me. I think they've made some impressive signings from a depth perspective. A whole another season for Isak, Harvey Barnes in the mix, Tenali. I think he's going to be tenacious Tenali. Uh, I, I would be very shocked if they did not place in the top six this season. Whereas other teams that we have some hopes for, I mean, Chelsea and Spurs, they have some great talented players, but can they bring it all together under their new managers? Uh, preseason is looking up for our Chelsea Blues Bucks, but you got to do it in the regular season when it counts. So I'm very curious to see you know, what, what your expectations are for Chelsea this season. Are they going to make European action next year? Well, that's a good transition. Let's go to our surprise teams of the season. For me, I think Chelsea is the obvious one. I think we'll finish fifth in the table when it's all said and done. So I do have pretty lofty expectations. We are now the youngest team in the Premier League, which is incredible considering that Thiago Silva is 38 years old and he (laughs) is factored into that mix. So the team averages just over 21 years of age. They could barely buy a round of shots for our hosts here stateside. But the other team a little further away from my fandom is Villa. I really think Villa are going to finish within the top eight. And I think they'll end up qualifying for conference league next season with a sixth or seventh place finish when everything's all said and done. So 
I know they're getting a lot of shine this offseason and this preseason, but I really rate Unai Emery as a manager, and I think that they've made a lot of really pragmatic, under-the-radar signings. So uh, I think Villa are going to be a tough team and going to be tough for years to come under this new regime. Yeah, we're just in a weird position where we're looking at European action for the likes of Brentford, for Aston Villa. We don't know how that's going to affect their squad depth, how that'll affect them in the Premier League. So definitely a lot of things to tackle. Luckily for us, I think we're going to be in the clear from an FPL perspective until about game week seven before European competitions start up, which is about around where you'll start thinking about activating your first wildcard chip that has to be used in the first half of the season. So a lot to, uh, to come to fruition in terms of the nuggets and positioning and all the rest for us. But let's uh, let's now just transfer our thoughts over to relegation because that's always a mo- one of the most fun parts about a Premier League season. Who do you guys have in your bottom feeders bracket? So I have Luton, I have Sheffield United, and I have Nottingham Forest right now. I think we might see the likes of Bournemouth potentially dragged in there. I think we might see the likes of Everton potentially dragged in there. I hate to say it, but if Wolves continue to have issues, I think they might get dragged into there. But I'm going to say Luton, Sheffield United, and Nottingham Forest. I mean, I agree with you on Luton. I don't see how Luton stays up. I think Burnley is going to be halfway decent. I I picture them 14th in the Premier League and pretty steadily out of the relegation scrap. I'm really worried about Bournemouth, to be honest. I think they overachieved last year. And, you know, as we talked about on previous podcasts, they then just ousted their manager, uh, who was interim. But uh, I haven't seen them make a ton of signings. And I'm kind of worried about uh, about them as well. So, I think the bottom seven teams are going to be very targetable for FPL. And that's actually what I do love. Uh, I think there's there's five really bad teams in the Premier League this season. And then uh, some of the other ones are okay. But I think uh, we're going to have some great targets in terms of captaincy in the Matrix each week. Yeah, I think for me, Sheffield United are going to be last. Uh, I think Luton even will finish above them. They just lost their kind of talisman in Daye. He's going uh, to Marseille. So congrats to him, but commiserations to Sheffield United. Cause I think they're going to have a really hard go of it. Luton town is 18th for me. And despite the new stadium on the horizon, I think Everton, what a drab dark cloud circling around this roster. I mean, they're already getting injured. McNeil might be out for the entire first half of the season. I, they, Dark clouds around Goodison Park. He went down in training. So DCL is now more fit than even some other FPL relevant players at Everton, which is <laughs> bad news bears for any blue supporters on Merseyside. So Everton's also rumored to be in negotiations to sell Damari Gray. So that's a, that's a questionable call to make if you're this injured already but again we're going to try and talk about Everton as less as possible on this pod because from an FPL perspective not a lot of love not a lot of love my friends I find it funny that Bucks has been talking about Everton in all of the previous episodes but now he thinks I'll get relegated which is kind of interesting there 
Well, I, I think that there's, you know, there's, there's value to be had. Listen, I've, I chose to, I chose peace on this episode. You didn't hear me shout out or besmirch wolves more than five seconds on this podcast. I'm choosing to be very practical, bring shalom by peace in the home, peace in this podcast to our you listeners. That's what it's all about. But I really think that outside of Jordan Pickford, ugh, it's going to be ugly at Everton this season. Do you think Wolves are going to struggle? Honestly, yes. Pretend very I'm much not so. here. Okay. Yes, I think if you're being, if you had me gun to my head right now to list the twenty teams, uh, I think Wolves are probably sixteen or fifteen. I don't, I don't see them much higher than that. No, that's fair. Me too. All right, let's close the podcast with what I like to call the spice corner. Let's dive into Brian Chin's family cookbook. And let's get our most overrated and underrated players for this upcoming FPL season. Uh, you can use any metric, any uh, formulation, any equation that you want to use. Who are your picks? Let's start with you, Brian. Who's your most overrated FPL pick going into this season? Wow. Who am I going to take out of the spice rack here? Overrated at the moment. Honestly, I'm kind of feeling Matoma is going to be a player who chimes in with a lot of assists, but I'm a little bit worried about his goal threat coming up for this season. I think that he's looked explosive when he's just trying to beat people one-on-one and off the dribble, but I just, I don't know. I'm a little bit worried about his long-term effects in people's teams. So I'm going to start with Matoma. Um, They have such great fixtures opening it up. So he's still a player that I might have, but I think he's somebody that, you know, when you compare him to somebody like, March or even gross. Nobody's considering those players at all. And uh, everyone's just on the Matoma hype train. So I think he's one, he's one that could possibly be a little overrated and he's not on any set pieces. And I think that's also something to note, like even though Mbumo, you know, might not be on as good of a team, he is going to be on taking set pieces, corners and, and penalty kicks. Those all add up to easy FPL points. So just want to point that out. Great shout. I second that Dan, how about you? I'm going to be a little hypocritical because he's actually in my team. But I'm going to say Marcus Rashford. Now, he's like... Wow! Oh, no, no. Wow, I'm going to go, wow. You called spice it the Spice rack. Corner. You called it the Spice Corner. So I'm actually adding some spice here. So he's like in almost everybody's team. His ownership is so high. To be honest, that's why he's mainly in my team because I fear his effective ownership. But I've just got a feeling that He's not going to perform like he did last season. The more I've been watching preseason, the more I've been seeing about some issues United have been having behind the scenes. I'm just getting less and less confident about having him in my team. So so I'm going to say him. I I feel like he's not going to score as high as people think. I mean, what do you think the appeal is with uh, Hoyland coming in? Do you think that boosts his appeal? I mean, I don't think we're expecting him to start kind of the first quarter of the season, but Rashford on the left wing, making some of those pacey runs instead of playing up top, you know, do you think that requires him to have, he'll have less chances or he'll, you know, maybe get a few on the counter from a left wing perspective? I think he's a better asset on the left wing from what I've seen. He makes those overlapping runs. He seems to get more shots. When he's that central focal player, he doesn't seem to get as many chances or as many points as he does on the left. I don't know much about the new guy, so you know I'm just guessing here. I just have a feeling. It's one of those spice corner feelings. 
I like it. He's got a little bit of nutmeg in him. That's for sure. Let's go to my take. I'm backing Luke Shaw is the most overrated FPL asset going into the season. Yes, he plays for Manchester United. And yes, Dan just took a run at the league's most popular club. But Luke Shaw, one, he's not a goal threat. I think he has this perception that he's very attacking, but the stats just simply don't back that up. He's never had double-digit goal and assist contributions in a season, and he's never had more than two goals in a season. So uh, I just don't really get the hype. I think Onana is 0.5 million cheaper. He's the obvious pick for United defense. So that makes me slag Luke Shaw. He's old. Fuck him. Let's go to our. <laughs> wow. 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 Uh, you have to be listening to the earlier episodes to get that joke, but let's close the podcast. Who are our most underrated picks? Who are your guys that you have that you're not seeing many other FPL managers back? Dan? I've actually had Ben Chilwell for quite a while now. He's getting more popular the past week or so, which is kind of disappointing because he's been in my team for a long time. I just think he's a crazy good asset at 5.5 million. He's so attacking. He's going to get a lot of goals and assists in this new Chelsea team, I feel. So he's an absolute lock in my team. And I think his ownership is a lot lower than I think it should be. Dan, when I know it- we, ta- we talked on an earlier pod. We're very much aligned on that. Ben Chilwell is not going anywhere from my Game Week 1 team. And uh, I'll save it for my take, but uh, I might even double on that. I'm just going to add quickly as well. I've seen people having him in their team and benching him Game Week 1, potentially even Game Week 2, and then bringing him in Game Week 3. But they at least have him in place. I think I'm going to start him game week one against Liverpool at home. I, I still see that as a yeah. great fixture for Chilwell. Look, when, when Chilwell is healthy, he dongs. He gets yeah. goals and assists. It's just, you know, he, he can't stay fit the whole season. The same goes with his counterpart on the right in Reese James. So I, I like the shout for sure. I think uh, when when healthy and he hits those eight games of his purple patches, he's, he's a great FPL asset. And he's just, there's no way that he's two and a half million pounds of value less than Trent. And so I think that's that's where a lot of FPL managers, if you're going to go without Trent, Chilwell is is looking like the pick uh, to have a premium 5-5 five, five there. Um, man, I think, uh, you know, a player that I am just obsessed with is Foden. We haven't seen City play a lot yet in the preseason, so I'm still waiting on some more data points. He's been in every one of my drafts because I want to have a double up on Manchester City to start the season. And quite frankly, I would love to find a way to triple up on them. I think that City's first eight games are an absolute fucking joke. And there are so many points to be had. So I think that's something that I want to give myself time to make that call. But I'm going to have patience with him. I'm going to understand that he might start three and four. Or he might start four and six. But I think even when he comes off the bench, especially with other firepower coming off the bench for City, that he can still get points. Um, and that that's something that I want to have a little bit more patience with, if I can, uh, knowing how dominant I think City are going to be through this run. Lovely. And I also really rate both of those shouts. My guy right now is Levi Colwell. I'm actually going above and beyond Dan's Chilwell shout. I have the Chelsea defensive double up in my team for my current game week one draft, and I'll have Colwell on the bench 
as an enabler at 4.5 million. He's not highly owned, but he's nailed. And I think he actually has a very high level chance of vacuuming up bonus points for Chelsea. He makes a lot of passes and a lot of progressive passes. Plus, I think that they're going to be very stout in defense this season. And because they don't have extra fixtures, I expect he will get lots of starts because he's coming in fit. He's already in the strength and fitness routine for Pochettino's side, and he's very favored. He just got a big contract extension. So Colwell is my one, and then I really, really like the look of Darwin Nunez. And I'm seeing a lot of chatter about Gabby Jesus, about Nkunku, but when you look at the stats and you look at the way and style of play, I think it's hard to see a team, if fit and if firing, scoring more goals than Liverpool outside of Man City. So I think that Liverpool will comfortably score the second most goals this season. And I think Darwin is going to lock up the number one role in the center of the pitch alongside Salah. You're already seeing in preseason that they're working much better together. So I think if Salah is too expensive, the hedge and the move for upside chasing is to bring in Darwin as one of your forward options. And he's seriously making a late push onto my game week one draft. So I wanted to shout him out there. It's a very interesting take because I think when we look at Darwin as an asset, he's very similar to Foden. And having one of those guys in your squad, you can stomach that. But having multiple of those guys who are at a risk for minutes, that that can hurt in a given game week because they could both come off the bench and get one pointer. So I do like starting your game week one squad with a lot of sure things, quite frankly, especially in defense where, you know, you're going to not have to make a lot of transfers. So that might be even going with a few of the more boring center backs, like a Botman, just so he's stashed on your bench and ready to go. Then you can take your chances and be riskier with guys with those high ceilings, like, like a Fode and like a Darwin. So uh, that's, that's an interesting, interesting take. I mean, if you think Liverpool are going to be second in the league this year, they're going to have to win a lot of games three to one, three to two. Like they're going to have to outscore teams. So I don't see them posting shutouts. So uh, I, I like the take. I like the take. Spicy. All right. Let's close out this podcast. What an awesome preseason episode. We'll be back next week with our three game week one team reveals as well as open forum. We're going to be taking a lot of community questions as we get into previewing Game week one, which kicks off on Friday, August 11th. We are less than two weeks away. Great pod with you, Black Wolf, and you, Brian, as always. Thank you to our listeners. Shout out, hashtag FPLUSA. And let's plug our social handles and anything else that we have going on this week. That's right. You can follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. FPLUSA, press play. And then on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And threads, you can find us at FPL USA Press Play as well. We're going to kick it over to Dan to shout out the leagues, which are still, I believe, open before the season starts. Yeah, so we have two leagues. We have the FPL USA leagues, which is at FPL USA leagues. That's for USA only managers. That's the tiered league, the prize league. If you would like to join that league, please send me a DM on Twitter so I can verify you and I can give you the code. We also have a global podcast lead, and the code for that is F-R-A-L-E-M. And as many of you can join that as you want, and it's still open. 
Yeah, and the winner will get a free kit of their choice sent to wherever you are in the world. Our winner is getting ready to pick up his package in Norway. He is a Liverpool supporter. So the last two years of the FPL Blues podcast were won by Liverpool supporters. Let's see if we can get a different team into the mix for 2023-2024. With that, great podcast. Great getting to know you guys a little bit better. And let's see in the comments if the listeners liked it as much as we did. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.